This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Psalm chapter 48. I've heard stories of Jerusalem as long as I can remember. I was taught of the time that Jesus traveled there when he was a boy, and he was then left behind at the temple. I learned of how years later he rode into that same town, seated on a donkey with crowds shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. I read of this place where Christ was betrayed and tried, convicted and crucified. I'd heard many things about it, but I will never forget seeing it with my own eyes for the first time. I was 17 years old. I'd traveled to the Holy Land with my dad and my grandparents when the Bible came alive everywhere I looked. Seeing Jerusalem firsthand helped give the geography and the stories of Scripture a sense of place, an incarnational sense. The most stunning view of Jerusalem is from the Mount of Olives. While standing on its summit, you can look down across the Kidron Valley onto the Temple Mount and behold the very city spoken of in Scripture more than 800 times. And it's known by multiple names. It's called Mount Moriah in Genesis 14. It's the place where Abraham cut loose the boy and killed the ram instead. It's first called Zion and also dubbed the City of David in 2 Samuel as the Ark of the Covenant is brought within its walls and David is anointed king of Israel. Our text today calls it the City of God. When we were there this past January, we took loads of pictures of Jerusalem, Uh, some with Jamie and I, others with the two of us with Caden. We took our oldest son, who is 17, Uh, some with Caden and and a camel. Those Those are the best. It's possible to show you those pictures and try to explain the sense of place that I'm describing, but you know how the saying goes, you have to see it for yourself. And isn't that how it is with our faith? Someone can describe God to you. They can tell you all about him and what he's done in their life. But ultimately, you must experience him for yourself. What has been your experience of God? Through the word picture painted in Psalm 48, we will hear not only a description of Jerusalem, but ultimately see its purpose in pointing us to the glory and goodness of God. The main idea of this psalm is not the city itself, but the God of the city. And as we trace the thought through these lyrics, we will see that we too have become citizens of the city of our God, and we're reminded of the message that we are called to share as we now await the new Jerusalem that is to come, which we read of in our call to worship. 
we'll explore this ancient place and what it points to by arranging the sermon under two headings. One, as we have heard, so have we seen. And two, as we have seen, so we must tell. As we have heard, so have we seen. And as we have seen, so we must tell. So we have our heading. Would you stand with me as we read from God's holy and inerrant word? Psalm 48. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. And we have heard, as we have heard, so have we seen. In the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. Selah. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels. That you may tell the next generation that this is our God. Our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. We'll study our first eight verses through the lens of the language found in verse 8. As we have heard, so have we seen. Keep that phrase in your thoughts as we move forward. There are a couple of ideas that come to light in this opening section. The first idea is this, the greatness of God in the city of God, verses 1 to 3. The greatness of God in the city of God. This psalm is classified as one of the songs of Zion. There are multiple of these throughout the book of Psalms, yet notice the aim of its praise is not toward the city, but toward the Lord himself. After verse 1 opens by singing of God's greatness and how greatly He is to be praised, and isn't He, comes this brief description of Jerusalem. It's hailed as God's holy mountain, which is a common designation for the Temple Mount, also called the Holy Hill. It's boasted as beautiful in elevation. Now, Jerusalem is beautiful. And it does stand 2,500 feet above sea level. But it's nowhere near as elevated as some of the other mountains within Israel. Still, 
it's interesting that regardless of which way you approach Jerusalem, north, south, east, or west, every direction is uphill, which is why the Psalms so constantly sing of going up to Jerusalem. But these statements are not merely geographical. They are theological. That's why the song goes on to use hyperbole to describe Jerusalem as the joy of all the earth because of the spiritual significance that it held. And finally, what comes into focus is the very thing that makes Zion so special. God has made himself known there. Everything that we read about in the book of Exodus, the Ark of the Covenant being given to the people of God, now sits in this city. The presence of God remains and resides in the city of Jerusalem when this is being written. And so the people are praising the Lord because they are protected on all sides by these ramparts, which are high protective walls and citadels. Places on that wall set apart for refuge and towers constructed for constant protection. Yet, while all that's true, they acknowledge their trust is not in the walls of the city. It's in God who is their fortress. They praise the greatness of God in the city of God. Next, in verses 4 through 8, we hear of the protection of and provision of God. So the greatness of God is being exalted inside the walls of the city, but everything outside is not exactly peaceful. Behold, verse 4 says, the kings assembled. Just like in Psalm chapter 2, verse 2, these kings set themselves against the Lord and against his people. We've dropped in on an event in Israel's history, and we're not sure specifically which one, where multiple kings have gathered to attack Jerusalem. They have their battle plans drawn. They have their armies assembled. And yet, as they start to make their advance toward Jerusalem, something supernatural happens. When their eyes behold the glory of God's city, the Lord strikes fear in their hearts and then scatters them like the wind. These punchy verbs in verse 5 give the pace to show how quickly the scene moves. They saw, they were astounded, they panicked, they fled. This is all it says of this battle. They saw, they were astounded, they panicked, they fled. Before a sword is lifted, the Lord provides for and protects his people. Uh, The poetry in verses 6 and 7 take this black and white scene and fill it in with color. The army of enemies is compared with a woman in childbirth, the sort of anguish that these kings felt in their bowels when they approached the city was like the anguish of labor pains. And then the imagery quickly shifts, as so should we, and adds, by the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. I bet you can't say that five times in a row. 
He shattered the ships of Tarshish. Now these words remind us that the God who directs the winds and causes tempests to blow is more than capable of defeating these pirates of Tarshish with merely his breath. And I'm reminded here of what we saw in Exodus chapter 14 that uses this same language. Do you remember this strong wind from the east that blew across the Red Sea? so that the children of Israel danced along the dry ground. So this brief description of an incredible event tells of how the Lord provided safety for his people as his enemies are scattered. And here we see the provision and protection of God. Now verse 8 pulls all this together in what I've given As our first point, as we have heard, so have we seen. What what Israel had heard of God's wonders done at other times and places, they now witnessed before their very eyes. My grandpa Easley grew up in a small town in East Texas called Yellow Pine. It's the kind of place where if you blink, you miss it. And as a teenager, uh, he and his family hitchhiked as they moved from Yellow Pine to the big city of Dallas, Texas. He had heard of Dallas, the bright lights, the people, the action of the big city. I remember as a kid hearing him tell the story of actually going, and as the closer their car, he's riding in the back of a truck, by the way, the closer it gets, the bright lights of the city can be seen. Think about the previous generations of Israel who had experienced such remarkable moments. People who witnessed the days of the Exodus, the conquest of of the Promised Land, the period of the Judges where God had delivered His people again and again. Well, those stories were passed down as God intended from generation to generation. Yet now the psalmist is saying... We've heard those accounts from how God worked in the past, but now we have witnessed it ourselves. One of the lessons from the opening verses of this chapter is the need for a first-hand relationship with a living God. First-hand relationship with a living God. There was a Scottish pastor called Horatius Bonner, who helps us think about this. And he wrote, we must know God's word, and I would add, we must know God, not from the report of others, but from our own experience and vision. Else will our life be but an imitation, our religion secondhand, and therefore second rate. Another cannot breathe the air for us, nor eat for us, nor drink for us. We must do these for ourselves. So no one can do our religion for us. Out of the book of God, and by the Spirit of God, must each one of us be taught, else we learn in vain. You may have heard stories of how God has moved in the lives of other people, or Maybe heard of how God has been faithful in the lives of your parents or even your grandparents. 
and how they walked with the Lord. Perhaps you've even seen God transform the life of a friend or a relative. But have you known God for yourself? No one can do this for you. The people who originally sang this song would have been able to look at the walls of Jerusalem and see for themselves the greatness of God. But today we can look at something far greater than a city. You see, with eyes of faith, we look to Christ where the fullness of the glory of God was put on display. In Jesus, we have seen the greatness of God. In his life and death and resurrection, we've experienced firsthand how provision for our sin was made. Each of us who came to trust in Christ first heard the stories. We heard of who God was, of how God had provided the perfect sacrifice in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. How we can have forgiveness of sin and be drawn into a relationship with a living God. We heard the good news and then we saw. We once were blind, but now we see. And so friend, I pray if you have heard of Jesus, but never looked to him as your salvation, may today be the day. And for each of us who are in Christ, may we be reminded from this opening passage that our faith must be lived out, not from the report of others, but from our own experience, so that we might say, as we have heard, so have we seen. And now let's look to the second section of our passage under the heading, as we have seen, so we must tell. These points are a little ambitious, but you look like a bright crowd this morning, and so I figured this is okay. And we're using biblical language, at least with point one, so just bear with me. And here we are in verses 9 to 14. The driving idea is this. As God's people hear and see his wonders and works, they simply cannot stay silent about it. They are compelled to proclaim who God is and what God has done. The first thing we see people telling of in verses 9 to 11 is the praises of God. In light of all they know, their hearts respond in praise. Verse 9 shows they have thought seriously about God's steadfast, covenantal, never giving up, never running out love toward them. And this causes them to sing of how God's praise should follow everywhere His name is known, even to the ends of the earth. By the time we reach verse 11, the righteousness of God, the perfect judgments of God are proclaimed. Along with this invitation to all the people of Zion, which represents all the people of God, to break forth with glad rejoicing. Serious, joy-filled, exuberant praise. Now this is not just some emotionally charged experience. There's some rock-solid things happening here. You see it in verse 12. The focus turns from vertically addressing God to then horizontally singing to one another, calling others, get in on this worship of God. And they're paying attention to the lyrics they're singing. 
As a matter of fact, verses 12 and 13 call for close consideration. Did you hear that as we walked through it? Look at that verse. Go ahead, it's saying. Walk around the city. Walk around the outer walls and number the towers. You see they're a fortress against our enemies. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels. Go and look for yourself is the big idea here. Look at what God has done and then join the choir of giving praise to the Lord. Now, I want you to pause and think back with me for a moment of those pictures that I told you about earlier that we took of Jerusalem. And I said, you just have to see it for yourself. Well, here it's clear they're saying, come and see the walls of the city. And so our application is that this afternoon we're all boarding the 330 flight to Tel Aviv and we'll be spending the next 10 days in the Holy Land. Who's ready? No, no, no. That's, that's, that can't be the application. <laughs> um, what I'd like to do is for you to seriously consider what's been given to you in Christ. To look around the goodness of the gospel and with marvel and wonder, look at what Jesus has done for you. To do that, I want you to turn to the right, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews 12, and I want us to look at verses 22 through 24. It's on page 1979. This is what it says. But you, now he's speaking to people who are born again by faith in Jesus. Not just everybody, but those who have been born again by faith in Christ. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus. You've been brought to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to be sprinkled, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word, than the blood of Abel. What the writer of Hebrews is doing is showing how oh, you've been brought to something far more remarkable than an old city. You've been brought to Christ, who is the fulfillment of the covenant, who is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system, the fulfillment of the temple, and the fulfillment even of the city of Jerusalem. And so now, you and I have the remarkable privilege of being citizens of Mount Zion, of having our names enrolled in heaven. Your name was written in the book of life before you were born. God knew at some point in time he would draw you to himself, give you so great a salvation, and you would become a citizen. You're a son and daughter of God and a citizen of the new Jerusalem. So brothers and sisters, the reason I tell you this is because I think it would be appropriate response not for us to fly to Tel Aviv, but for us to tell the praises of God for all that he has done for us in Christ. The second truth we're told that we must tell 
are the wonders of God to the next generation. This comes to light at the end of verse 12. And we'll just see this through the rest of the, of the chapter. And finally in verse 13, all of the looking around Zion and being amazed by God is given a remarkable focus. The reason to practice this is not only so that the people of God would be built up in their faith, though that is certainly a purpose of it, but look with me further. It says, do all this that, that you may tell the coming generation that this is our God. So all the looking around at the gospel gifts that have now given to us in Christ are so that we may tell to the future generations this is our God. So dads are commanded to teach our children, their children of the Lord. Moms are told to instruct their children of the ways of the Lord. Church members who are single or you who don't have children, you're not exempt for this. You're a part of this, pouring into the next generation of children so that future generations, the children of the Trails Church, might know and see and fear and walk in the ways of the Lord. Passing down what we have seen, passing down what we have known, so that our children might see it for themselves and come to know the greatness of God. As we bring this down to our lives and see how we might live in light of these verses, let me emphasize both the responsibility and the great joy of being a part of this. The great joy of telling the next generation who our God is. Right now, there's a group of students traveling, I guess in the rain, home from Arkansas, and they've been together for the last four or five days because people from our church took time off of work and time away from family to pour into the next generation the wonders and works of the Lord. Across the hall right now in Trails Kids, there are people from our body serving, discipling the youngest among us. I texted Amy and said, hey, what are you guys going to be going over this week? This is what she replied. The big picture question is this, why was Jesus born? Here's the answer. Here's what the youngest children in our church are learning right now. Well, why was Jesus born? First, because God must punish sin. He loves us and sent his son Jesus to earth. And Jesus came to take away the punishment for sin. Uh, That is a synopsis, a summary of the good news of the gospel that anyone in here needs to hear. Why was Jesus born? Because God must must punish sin. He loves us and sent his son Jesus to earth. And Jesus came to take away or to take the punishment of our sin. So we must tell forth the praises of God and tell the wonders and ways of God to the next generation. And one truth in light of this text to make sure that we pass down is not just that there was This great city called Jerusalem where God's presence dwelt. Not only now that we get to be a part of this citizenship through Christ, but also of the city to come. Keep turning with me to the right to Revelation chapter 21. There should be the sound of pages rustling, phones swiping. 
Revelation 21, 2 and 3. You heard this already in the call to worship, but I just don't want you to skate by it, but to think about it, to consider this hope that awaits us. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband in full glory. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. It sounds like Eden restored, doesn't it? He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. Sounds like the story of Exodus, doesn't it? And God himself will be with them as their God. That sounds like our story, doesn't it? So to tell to the next generation of this day that will come, as sure as our next breath, when Christ will return and the trump will blow and forever we will be with him. So in the summer months, we have some of our older kids with us. We close down our elementary classes. One, because we want to give those teachers a rest during the summer. But there's a greater reason, and that's because we want older children in the service with us so they sit with mom and dad and learn to worship the Lord side by side. And so there are some kids. How many of you, by a show of hands, how many of you are normally in trails, kids, but you're in here today? Hold up your hand real high. I want to see you. I'm going to talk to you for a minute. At the end of the sermon, I saved the best part for y'all, okay? You can put your hands down now, unless you have a question, and then ask your parents later. <laughs> the story of this song, this is an old song we're looking at. Now, lean in. You've got to hear this. The story of this song is that there's a day coming when all the sad things will come untrue. And the kingdom of this world will be the kingdom of our God. And we will know the greatness of God in the city of God. We will know the perfect provision and protection. And we will forever tell his praises. And we will forever be his people. And he will be our God. And how do you know that? Because it's exactly what the Bible tells us. And how do you know you can trust the Bible? Because it is God's word given to us. And it will never change. God doesn't lie. And so kids, you can trust him. And be patient with your mom and dad as they learn to do it as well. As we have heard, so have we seen the greatness of God in our lives. The provision, the protection of God. As we have seen, so we must tell. Telling the praises of the Lord and telling to the next generation, this is our God. And as we seek to honor the Lord in this, let's pray that God would go before us and that he would be with us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalm 48 and it sings of so much more than a city. Thank you for the hope that we've been given in Christ. for adopting us as sons and daughters of the king, making us citizens of the kingdom of heaven. 
Let us not just hear from the report of others, but see for ourselves the goodness of God. And let us not only see, but tell your wonders and ways to anyone who would listen and faithfully to the next generation. We ask these things in Jesus. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.